We are so glad you've joined us today for our Thursday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. In your trials will be over. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you commit suicide, then guess what? It's like any other sin. It was taken out on the cross and it was washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nowhere in God's word, it's not the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is knowing that the Holy Spirit is with everyone, convicting the world of sin, it says. What sin? Of not believing in him. It's the ultimate testimony. It is the ultimate witness trying to point you to Jesus. And if you go your whole life and say no to that, what you have done is you blaspheme the Holy Spirit because you're telling the Holy Spirit he is a liar. And by the time you die at that point, that is not forgivable. That is not forgivable. But I don't read anywhere else in God's word that says there's not any other sin is, is, uh, you know, is not forgivable. Yeah, but he, he committed suicide. What kind of, he didn't have a chance to ask forgiveness for that. Same with the person who's speeding down the road and gets into an accident and dies. Same with anyone else that has unconfessed sin in his life when they die and go meet the Lord. Does that mean they don't, they're not a Christian because they had unconfessed sin in their life? Of course not. What does it say in Romans 8.31? It says this, makes it very clear. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Oh, they committed suicide. I don't think he's in heaven. You're bringing a charge against God's elect saying that they're not in heaven? Are you kidding me? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who dies. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, suicide? It can't separate you from the love of God. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an exhaustive list that encompasses everything. Yeah, but Dave, they, they committed suicide, yeah. And you know what happened? They lost the battle, but you know something else? They won the war when they received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Are you telling me as a believer in Jesus Christ you haven't lost a battle from time to time? <sighs> I'm so thankful that I won the war, the big one. Because as I was to tally up all the, the battles and the victories, I, I'd say maybe 50-50. <laughs> and that's, that's if I'm really doing good, okay? I've lost many a battle, but I haven't lost the war. Nor will I ever, because I've put my trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, bad decision. No question, bad decision. Have you ever been in a situation where you've made a bad decision? Yeah, but Dave, that's really a bad decision. There are bad decisions and then there are bad decisions. But they're decisions nonetheless. And then there's some that are going to have more consequences than others. Granted, it was a bad decision. But it doesn't take away from the fact when they submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It doesn't at all. I think we also have something about Saul here that confirms what I've just said here. Because when Saul was consulting with the witch of Endor, and she actually is able to conjure up Samuel, and all of a sudden Samuel is speaking to Saul, and he asks him, how's it going to go in this battle with the Philistines? He says, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. I'm pretty sure Samuel's in a very, very good place. And he said, but this time tomorrow, you're going to be with me. Wow. And I would say that's in the place of the righteous dead. Because that's where Jonathan definitely would have gone. And you, you don't have to be perfect in all the decisions you make on this earth. You just have to be very, very good at that one decision you make on who Jesus is in your life. And if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've won the war. That doesn't mean go now lose battles because it doesn't matter. Because that has to do with rewards. It has to do with pleasing your heavenly Father. It has to do with hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, that you know if you've been around me very long, I want to hear that more than anything else. Well done, good and faithful servant. In order to hear those words, you would have had to have done something well. Not every Christian is going to hear those words. Okay? And so, on the issue of suicide, just understand, that does not decide where you go. What decides where you go is what you do with the person of Jesus. That's the decision that is made there. Now, David actually believed that the Amalekite killed Saul. The Amalekite is saying, it was a mercy kill. He was dying anyway. I put him out of his misery. Now, a couple things here before we go down this road. As believers, it's completely different than non-believers. As an unbeliever, they actually believe they're putting them out of the misery. No, this person's an unbeliever. You're actually sending them towards more misery You think they're miserable now. Without Jesus, they're really going to be miserable. So you would have this person just suffer the way they're going. Yes, why? Because that might bring them to the place where they cry out for God. Jesus. Crucifixion. That's suffering. And you have two thieves. One chose to mock God. One chose to cry out to God. So just because they're both suffering, just because people are suffering doesn't mean they're going to cry out to God. And it doesn't mean that they never will cry out to God. We have the two thieves on the cross suffering greatly. One chooses to cry out to God. One chooses not to. You don't see Jesus pulling a spike out and going, ugh, killing these guys because they were suffering. You don't see him doing that. He could have done that. I just didn't want to see him suffer anymore. No. Suffering is a glorious thing if it causes you to reach out to God. And I can't think of a more glorious or blessing thing that God allowed to happen in your life in order for you to cry out to God. Because think about it. You are that stubborn. You are that prideful that that's what it took in order for you to cry out to God, because before you were suffering, you weren't crying out to God. 
But now that you are, you do. And I can't see anything but that suffering being from the Lord. And I praise God for it. It looks horrendous in my eyes. But I have no idea at that last moment of their breath that they're not crying out to God. What was the movie that just came out where the professor gets hit by the car? God's not dead. Thank you. God's not dead. I know it's a movie. Okay? But you don't see the guy going, oh, yeah, the lug is filling up with blood. Yeah, he's not going to make it. Okay? I just want to put you out of your misery because you're a goner anyway. No. What does he do? He leads them in a prayer. He says, look, you don't have to say yes, but I'm going to explain to you the gospel. You can still reach out to him. You can still reach out to him. You can still reach out to him. And he does. And because that suffering, that brought him to the Lord Jesus Christ. I see the mercy and grace of God in that. This is what suffering is. It draws us close to the Lord. Gives us a greater understanding of God. If you're suffering and you're a believer, then it's not about you. It's about other people. Then in the midst of your suffering, your eyes are on the Lord and your eyes are on your doctors and nurses and family members that are seeing you suffer, and yet you're still able to do what? Praise God. Show the joy of your salvation. To which people look at you and go, Whoa, how are you able to have this amazing attitude with all the suffering you're going through? And you'll be able to say, because I know Jesus. And they look at that and say, that's real. What a testimony. Why do Christians suffer? For a testimony's sake. Light in darkness. That's why. Even, even Paul in Philippians says this. I can get over there. He tells us this. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's looking forward to it. He even had the same, I'd rather die. It's gain for me if I die. But if I live, it's for Christ. I was bought at a price. But if I live on the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you because it will encourage you, it will exhort you. It's better for you. I'm still going to be used for the kingdom of God. God wants me around, even though this is hard, this is difficult. I'd rather be with him, but it's better for you. That's where it comes down to. Mercy killing, euthanasia, doctor-assisted suicide are two other terms by which mercy killing is used today. It's the act or practice of ending by either lethal injection or suspension of medical treatment, the life of a person suffering from a terminal illness. But as we described already, God is the one that is the giver of life. In Psalm 36, 9, it says, for with you is the foundation of life. So God alone has the right to take a life. He does allow the world governments to put to death those who have committed heinous acts. But other than that, he, the government and no one else has the right to put someone to death because of disease, sickness, or old age. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we're told to take care of the weak. It says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. In 2 Samuel 7.12, God speaking to David says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers. Psalm 39.4, Lord, make me to know my end. What is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths. There's a span there. There's a lifespan that we all have. And my age is nothing before you. Certainly every man is the best state is but a vapor. 
In Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon even says, there's a time to be born and there is a time to die. We know that death comes from a rebellion against God. Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So the first thing that we need to understand when it comes to a mercy killing and things like that is that we have to first acknowledge that life is from God. 1 Timothy 6.13, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things. Acts 17.26, and he, God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling. So God has determined when I was to be born. He has determined the length of my days. He is the one that has given me life. And because now I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, even if I wasn't, he is still the giver of life. And now that I am, I was purchased with a price. I do not belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. He bought me. And even if we, we, we understand this, no person has a right to destroy life either by homicide or suicide. And this includes euthanasia. Mercy killing is morally wrong. It's the infringement into divine territory is what it is. It's wrong. It's wrong. Secondly, there's a grim reality taught by the Bible, and I see it every day and by experience itself, and that is that death comes to everyone except for those fortunate ones that I personally believe will be around during the rapture. But aside from that, that's a different discussion altogether. What about Enoch? Okay, that guy too. All right. But for the most part, everybody before us has experienced death, and we will too if the Lord should tarry. It's inevitable. I don't care how great your health habits are, death will visit us all. So what are we supposed to do if we're told that horrible news that you have cancer or some other terminal illness, and that as a Christian, Dave, are you then morally obligated at that point to submit to the treatment of the medical professionals, no matter how grisly or grueling or hard it might be? Are we morally obligated to do that? Would you tell someone they're morally obligated to do that? What if you've been told chemotherapy? and There's no guarantee of it, and it's going to be very hard on your body, and poison is going to be given. I would say with some people, they go, I have a peace about it. I believe the Lord wants me to go through it. You know what? I'm okay with that. I'm not going to say, I don't think that's from the Lord. I'm going to say, I support you in that. You know, God has given you this understanding. And, and, and so you want to go through that. And, and, and maybe one of the reasons is, is I want to fight for that because I, I want to be healed because I want to do more things for the Lord. And, and my kids are young and I just need to fight for them. And I, I want to be there. I get that. I'm with you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to walk you through that. I'm going to do whatever I can to, to bring um, uh, support. And I'm going to let you know, I do believe that's from the Lord. That's what God spoke to you about. And this is the, 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 the path that he's given you to go. I say, go for it. On the other hand, it would be very presumptuous to believe that everybody has to walk that path. That the very brutal treatment of the disease was always the way of God. Could one be morally faulted for not wanting to delay 
going to heaven. I couldn't. There's a, there's a difference between terminating one's life and letting the natural processes take their natural course. In other words, allowing death is not the same thing as producing death. It's not the same thing. What about the person that is brain dead or in a vegetative state or in a certain percentage of a vegetative state or, or whose biological functions are being maintained by high-tech medical equipment? Must the family keep the loved one alive at all costs? Those are difficult, difficult things. And I, I tread lightly here, willing to learn along the way, humbly making sure I'm not dogmatic in any way that I broach this subject because I've had dear friends who have recently gone through this. It's completely changed my perspective of things. There's nothing in Scripture that I've found that suggests that we have to keep a person alive at all costs. Instead, I read it's a good thing to be absent from the body present with the Lord is what I read. However, these decisions are very difficult. And sometimes we don't always agree of what course of action to take. There are those who are holding out and, 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 and have faith that more time given and relying upon the Lord, maybe God will do something. There might be someone who's saying, I already have a peace that they are with the Lord and we need to let them go now. I, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says you have to wait at least six months. I don't, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where you have to make a decision in a week. These are things that have to be prayed over. These are things that you need to um, pray. Ask what your motivation is. What is it that, that God is putting in your heart to do? And I would tell you this. If you have not had this discussion with your parents, if you have not had this discussion with your spouse, if you haven't written it down somewhere, you put your loved ones in a very precarious position when these things happen. And I don't care how tight your family is, there could possibly be always someone that heard something a little bit different than the rest of you did. And Pops wouldn't want that. No, he, he, he told us it was okay. No, he's a fighter. He'd want to do... Well, we didn't get that. Way. If he would have just written it down, explained that to people, do that. You need to do that or you put people in a very precarious position. There, there, there's a lot of difficult things out there. I want to read something to you from Joni Erickson Tata. Jo, Joni has um, been paralyzed from the neck down since she was 16. I think she's like 58 now. So for a long time, she's been a quadriplegic. Um, if there's anybody that knows about pain and suffering, it'd be her. She goes around, uh, Joni and friends, and, uh, and she, um, I think it's Johnny actually, Johnny and friends. Uh, and she visits people all the time that are hooked up to machines, have the most uh, incredible difficulties with challenges physically in life. Um, and she's there to give them praise and, and, and to encourage and exhort them. And then they tell you about some of the things that they've been through. And, and um, uh, in her book that I'm drawing a blank on right now, she talks about someone that is a quadriplegic hooked up and... Um, and, and left alone in a, in a hospital overnight, and fire ants came. And they're not able to scream or anything out, and began to eat the mucus around her nose and eyes before the nurses even come. And she's looking at Joni, well, what, 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 what's that all about? Why would God allow that? I'm a believer in this and that. I have no idea. But she's there to be able to say, but you have doctors and nurses that take care of you all the time. And for you to be able to show the joy of the Lord, 
and put your trust in him speaks more volumes than probably going and hearing Billy Graham every day because you're living it out. And you know that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be received in you. So you look at that and go, fire ants and you're quadriplegic and you go through that and it's not even worthy to be compared is what God's word says. I would not say that, but God can certainly say that since he's the giver, taker, and love. And he loves that person more than anybody in the world does and knows what's ahead of that person and the rewards they're going to get and knowing that they're going to get a new body and knowing what their future holds. Yeah, they're not even going to look back at their time saying, man, that was brutal. I can't believe you made me go through that. You're going to be so overwhelmed of the presence of the Lord. It's not even worthy to be. Johnny Erickson Tata said this when it comes to artificial life support. She says, treatment that significantly sustains life in a beneficial way is ordinary. Treatment that merely postpones or prolongs the act of dying can be considered extraordinary. When I look at my uh, debilitated friends who are on dialysis machines, respirators, or even iron lungs, it is clear that such assistive devices are very ordinary in the way of treatment respirators, catheters, oxygen mask, dialysis machines produce significant life benefits in relation to the discomfort and cost. However, in some cases, assisted devices could be uncomfortable, costly, result in no significant life benefits to the patient. I appreciate the way that Dr. C. Everett Koop, the former U.S. Surgeon General, who as an elderly man put still in good health, reasoned, if my kidneys shut down tomorrow, let's say after a severe infection, I don't know how long I would want to be on dialysis. I'd be foolish and a waste of resources for me to have my kidney transplanted at my age. I'd probably opt to clean up my affairs, say goodbye to my family, and drift out. The point is that my wife and I know exactly how each of us feels about the end of life. This will be a crucial if the time comes to make a decision, and I'm not then able to do so. And so there are decisions there where you kind of go, you know what? It's okay for death to come my way. I know who I've put my faith in and absent from the body is present with the Lord and I'm going to be okay. There are few people, few, that I know that have died well. I've been there as people have been afraid. I've been there as um, they have no idea what's going to happen. And then I've been around a few that knew exactly where they were going. And the peace that surpasses all understanding. And sometimes we prolong death. Sometimes we do everything and anything we can to sustain life when quite often I do believe that God has called people to die well. To die well. Knowing that there's a time to be born and a time to die. I always pray for a person that God would heal, that God would prolong life, that God would do this, unless they tell me something different. And then I have no problem saying, Lord, they're ready to go. Take them. But I'm not going to be presumptuous to pray that prayer without their okay. Because they might not be ready to die well yet. They're still afraid. God hasn't given them that comfort yet. But they're still in that. They might be very immature as a believer. And this is a scary thing for them. So I'm praying, Lord, that you just give them peace. That we could talk about these things and stuff like that. But I would only pray, Lord, take them. They're ready if they've asked me to. Because I do believe that God wants us to die well. And we have nothing to be afraid of. Amen? Let's pray. Let nothing ever 
Well, that concludes today's edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Mm -hmm.